Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a very special guest with us where you get to have the distinct pleasure of, of discussing leadership ethics. And it's a very, very special time because we not only have a special person with us today, Mr. Chris Ash, but he's an expert in ethics because he is an attorney and a politician all rolled into one. And so you always can have, well, but you'll see, it's going to be amazing today. With us today, you can see on your screen, we have Mr. Chris Ash. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Thank you. I'll give you a little bit of background about Chris, just so everybody's on the same page with why he was selected for a discussion in ethics. And he is a partner in the Atrium Legal Group in Rockwall, Texas. He graduated from the University of Texas Law School with a Doctor of Jurisprudence. He's a certified mediator and was voted as the best attorney by Living Magazine from 2017 to 2022 and as best attorney by the Rockwall Herald Banner in 2019 and 2020. He was also named as an outstanding young attorney for commercial litigation in the Texas Monthly and as a rising star in commercial litigation by Texas Super Lawyers in 2013. He also served as a research associate on Chief Justice Warren Berger's biography team and on the Fate Texas City Council Place 3. Despite all these things, you may think that he doesn't have any other time in his life, but he does. He also volunteers as the president of the Heath, Texas State of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Rockwall, Texas area, which covers 10 congregations and 2,450 households in the area. With that said, welcome, Chris, to today's conversation about ethics and leadership. How are you doing? Doing great. They make me sound very good on paper, please. I, <laughs> I don't have to work very hard because you do a lot of good things. So thank you for being who you are because it gives me a chance to say a lot of good things about you. Very kind. Full disclosure, we've known Chris, we've known each other for about almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years this, this year, I believe, 2023. And when we moved to town, Chris was here and he was one of the first people that was very nice to us and didn't make us cry. So we're thankful to have known him. <laughs> so as we talked about earlier, we're gonna talk about ethics and how, it, how, that, how the ethics role plays into leadership. Specifically, we wanna narrow that focus down to target into new leaders or leaders that are up and coming so we can find awesome ways for leaders to juggle personal ethics with corporate and organizational ethics, as well as being an ethical role model for those around them. And so with that said, since Chris is one of our premier local politicians, um, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna open the can and we're gonna just start, I'm gonna ask questions about politics because you were on the Fate Texas City Council on place three and at the time, you were a very successful attorney, making millions of dollars, I assume, and and living the, living the good life. So what drove you into politics? It's a great question. Um, so I, uh, I, I was uh, serving in a, a different capacity with my church 
and uh, that specifically the the title that was was bishop at the time. And uh, I there's an average uh, time amount to the length of service, and I anticipated that was going to be coming to an end at a certain point. And uh, I anticipated I would have some additional time on my hands that I was used to uh, giving towards my my service to the church. And so I thought there'd be this additional time where I was used to doing other things with my time. And uh, around that time, as I was thinking about it, I saw a post on Facebook by the City of Fate saying that there was going to be an open seat for election, uh, place three on the city council. And uh, I thought, hey, what a what a great way! I I like my town. I I would like. I've thought for a long time about being more involved in my community, and I thought that would be a neat way to be more involved, get to know more people in my community, and and give service in a different way. So that, uh, in a nutshell, that's how that came about. You know, you mentioned that you you projected you'd have some extra time on your hands. And as we both know, that quickly didn't happen. But um, now I know, not from firsthand experience, but from news reports and other secondhand information, that there were uh, previously in in fate, there's been a lot of allegations historically of uh, fraud, embezzlement, et cetera, among the leadership in in the town. Did any of that have any role or impact in your decision? Very little. Um, I was aware of that. I knew that the uh, a, a prior mayor, not not the then serving mayor, had had. Uh, I'll use the term here loosely. Had kind of left in under a cloud, um, and and there had been allegations of of. Uh, well, I, I won't repeat what I remember because they they may not be precisely accurate. But you summarized it very well. And and so there there was a uh, a desire to see what was going on uh, and to see what kind of people were serving and and to make sure that that uh, you know had changed. I, I'd heard that it had from from uh, mm-hmm. people that I knew that were a little closer to it. So I, I guess I guess you could say that that was a part of it. It wasn't the primary part, but that that was in the back of my mind. Fair enough. That's fair enough. That's a good answer. So with that in mind, that that spurred another question in my mind, because as a member of the city council and as a a bishop in your church and as an attorney, you you played several different leadership roles. You have a family as well. So there's leadership roles in the family, too. And for our discussion specifically about ethics today, uh, what in your mind, what role does ethics play in the various leadership roles that you have had in the past and currently have now? Well, contrary to current world events and maybe all-time <laughs> world events, I don't know, um, to me, ethics is, is everything. Um, I, I don't think, I, I personally can't, separate leadership from ethics to me they they are inseparable so uh, having a moral character on the basic level of doing what you say what you say you're going to do um, being honest uh, having 
full disclosure, keeping promises, uh, no self-dealing. Just to me, I, I, any leader at any level, right? Whether whether mm-hmm. you're just a leader in your family or all the way up to a top position in a company or in government, uh, those those should be the the guiding principles by which uh, you, you do everything. Um, I don't know if that has answered your question or not. No, and that, that answers the question really good uh, or really well for that matter, because, you know, I, I also tend to agree with that, that ethics plays a large part in it. And to your point earlier, there's a lot of, uh, I'll use the term confusion on ethics nowadays. Um, we hear a lot of moral relativism and on the news, we also hear of, uh, educators that talk about moral relativism. And when that comes to being an attorney, <laughs> attorneys historically have a, a notoriously bad rap for <laughs> ethics and and morals and values. Whether it's earned or not, I'm sure there were bad apples throughout the 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 profession, just like in every profession there are bad apples that use bad ethics and morals. For you specifically, when it comes to exercising your ethics in your profession and in your home life, how much how much pushback or difficulty have you had in your career? Um, I I have had some, and and um, I I unfortunately can't say my profession hasn't earned its bad reputation. There there are still many bad actors that I, I encounter. I, I'm, I, I'm happy to say that there are many good actors as well that, that, that give us, I hopefully will one day change that reputation. I don't know if that will ever happen, but, um, we can always hope and pray, <laughs> we can always hope and pray. <laughs> but, uh, no, and, and I will say certainly in my, um, in my earlier years of practicing law, I, I was never pressured to go and do something grossly dishonest or, or, or something, you know, to steal or, or, or take money or anything like that. I, I think those that knew me at all know that I wouldn't have done it. And I don't think I put myself in a position where I was working with people who would have done it, but I was pressured and I, and I have not been perfect uh, again, especially early in my career was more susceptible to, to pressure. Um, I can remember um, where uh, someone else, we, we were collaborating on, on uh, kind of an analysis and uh, uh, I, I was pressured and, and sadly went with the pressure to, to take credit for, uh, and this wasn't like a publication study or something like that. This was just internally shared with a client, but there were some great ideas uh, and, and was pressured to not overtly, but implicitly take credit for mm-hmm. those ideas. And, uh, and, and it backfired terribly. Um, I, I'm happy to say that it did now <laughs> and it came out and, and it cost, uh, it cost our, uh, our firm took a hit for the reputation. Mm. And, and when that happened and I saw it, you know, it was, it was very apparent to me that I, I knew better and should have known better and should have stood up for that and, and not done that. Um, 
there have been other times where, um, again, pressure was exerted to, in the discovery process, I don't know how many people are familiar with that, but there are written questions sent and, and there are written responses expected. And, and there was pressure to just, uh, in, in an adversarial process, you don't have to do someone else's job for them, right? If they, if yep, they ask yep. a bad question, you don't have to. You don't have to give a good answer with a bad question. Right. I have a duty to my client and not to the opposing party, and I don't have to help the other side do their job. But I still need to be honest. And, and there was pressure just to be a little closer to the gray area in a couple of instances where the firm mm -hmm. was comfortable. And and, uh, and I did push back there on that. And uh, um, my religious views and beliefs uh, got involved in the discussion. and. And uh, my my time with that firm was not long. I, I was I was given an option to uh, to leave voluntarily or to quit not long after, or excuse me, or to be fired. Not long mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I chose to leave, and um, I was surprised that that happened. I didn't see that going in, but but that is what happened. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. There were. A couple of things that I that I have questions about, some of the things you talked about in there. I heard that you said earlier on when it comes to ethics that you didn't put yourself in the position to be, uh, for lack of a better word, tempted to do unethical actions. This would be more of a hypothetical for you, I would assume, this, this question. What impact that would make on a younger leader, a newer leader, when it comes to making ethical decisions, not placing themselves in a position to be confronted with those things? I think there probably are some rare, super strong individuals that will adhere to their ethics no matter what. Um, I, I hope I am one of those, but I think I'm more human uh, than I am the exception. And so, um, mm -hmm. and, and trying to answer your question, I think putting a young person in a position where they're constantly, their ethics are being challenged, I think it's probably just a matter of time before those ethics get eroded. Um, and, and so I, I remember interviewing with a firm that had a horrible reputation for ethics, and I did it for one reason, because they had a large, large salary <laughs> and and uh, someone I respected very much was now working there, and, and they assured me that it was different. And during the interview process, when I finally met the managing partner, <laughs> it, it was clear, at least to me, that it was not different. <laughs> and uh, everyone would be happy <laughs> to have uh, a lot of money, but but that was something I, I couldn't reconcile and uh, was was polite in the interview, but never never pursued it uh, further. I, I let him know I was I was out of the running shortly after that interview. You know, I've noticed some somewhat similar. There are a few people that I've run across that have impeccable ethical moral fortitude um, when faced with it seems just like anything that comes their way. They make the right decision every time based off of their ethical upbringing and, and such. And when it comes to ethics, I don't know if you've read the book, but Kyle Fedler wrote a really good book about Christian ethics. And in his book, 
he talks a little bit about how our our ethics, our personal ethics are derived from our experiences, but then our experiences and our ethics drive us to our characteristics. They make us who we are after we've been through those. You know, we get the, through life, we get taught ethics by parents, by watching others uh, both fail and succeed. And then that motivates us to make those decisions for ourselves. And then that becomes a characteristic or part of us that we don't lose. And it, I really, I really liked what you said about how if they're constantly faced with unethical dilemmas, then it can erode down eventually. Um, and so having that way out is a good, good thing. A little bit of forethought planning as well. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, it just that, and I think it just makes it more likely to, right? If, if you're at a place where you rarely, if ever confronted with an ethical dilemma, um, versus constantly, right? Just the, the likelihood mm -hmm. that that's going to happen just is obviously much more at a place where it's where it's ongoing. That makes total sense. I mean, there's not much common sense out there today, but you know, it sounds like common sense to me. I do have a very curious question for you, and this is somewhat of the personal nature. I know we've already had some personal nature questions, uh, but this is just another one for the list. If you were to pick one or two role models of ethical behavior that you've used in your life as examples to learn from, or even if it was a bad ethical example that you learned from, can you, will you share with us a couple of those? Sure. Um, do you want uh, experiences or, or just in general? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Okay. Yeah. Experiences are great. People love experiences. I do. I don't okay. know about anybody else listening. But. Um. <laughs> So yes, there, there's an attorney that, uh, I started to get to know, not, not one who worked at the same firm that I did. And, uh, he, at the time he actually held the same church position that I hold now. Um, okay. At a, a different, different location. We mm -hmm. didn't attend church together. We never saw each other at church. We, we met professionally. First, I, I was just looking for some guidance on making career choices and just being around him was was a great example to me. Um, and it was little things even. I, I hope this <laughs> makes sense. It did to me. But I remember uh, either being at the restaurant or on his in his car on the way to a restaurant and him getting a call from his wife and I've been around a lot of attorneys who are busy on the call from a spouse and oh, what a sad commentary again on my profession, but by and large, it's, it's an annoyed reaction. It's a reaction of, you know, mm. oh, why are you bothering me at work? You know, and that sort of thing. And his, yeah. his was very different. It was, uh, he stopped, he took the call, was very polite, was very sweet, uh, made sure she had what she needed. And I don't know if I looked at him or if I just had a pause or <laughs> an expression on my face. I'm not sure. But I remember him saying, I've always told my wife that if she wants to call me, I will always pick up if I can. And if I can't, then that means I'm, I'm not available. Hmm. And, and just that little, that little thing showed me a great insight into his character. 
Mm-hmm. And then as we got to know each other later, I remember he talked about the way he handled himself in court, which was, he said, <laughs> he said, this will probably go against what most people are taught. He says, but I actually don't argue in court. <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah. And I, I probably looked at him again or asked him a similar question. And he said, uh, uh, I, I just present the facts and the evidence. And, and I lay them out together. And, and he said, I, I don't uh, massage those into a, a, a certain type of argument. He said, it's very cut and dried. And he said, and it's been an extremely effective way of handling it for me. Wow. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've always remembered that. And um, on, the, on the bad example side, there was a uh, high level partner at the first law firm I worked. Uh, four out of law school. He was cheating on his wife. It was well known mm-hmm. with uh, someone in, in the firm, another, another young attorney. Um, that attorney got all of the uh, special assignments, got to uh, all the, you know, like the Dallas Mavericks cases, all, all the exciting things. Um, and uh-huh. a lot of favoritism and the, mm-hmm the morale that that created or, or lack thereof, I should say at that office was, was tangible. Um, he, he was not respected and, um, it, it just, just made for extremely low morale because there was no faith in fairness or, or equity there. It was just in, you know, if, if you're in as good graces or, or, or if you're not. A lot of people can relate to having not so good ethical role model in a leadership position. The damage that it can cause to the morale. I know I've had a few. Of course, uh, as you know, I was active duty military and it's a dime a dozen there. You never know what you're going to get on any transfer or any deployment. Uh, You get stuck in and it could be anybody all of a sudden who's in charge and they have a broad range of ethical driving factors and some with none. We can always take those and learn from them versus, you know, becoming depressed and such as we move forward in life. When it comes to you, earlier we talked about where we can develop a little bit, or I kind of mentioned it from Kyle Fedler's book of where we develop our ethical standing, our morals, if you will. Where did yours come from? You named a a couple of them, but so uh, I would say my Definitive sources have been um, my parents, my religion, and and the scriptures associated with that religion have yeah you know, those have been my my primary sources. And then beyond that, um, you know, a handful of people that uh, just you know really impressed me. Uh, again, the, the, the hopefully the most important person if you have a spouse in your life is your spouse and. and those you can always help. <laughs> yeah, those two men I mentioned, one one tried, treated his spouse horribly and the other wonderfully. And, and, and if you aren't treating your spouse well, it's kind of a glimpse into probably how he treats everyone else, too. Um, I, yeah. yeah. To, to the sources, I, I'd say um, um, my, my religion, my faith, and, and my parents. And, and uh, again, the, the scriptures or, or holy... <laughs> The Holy Writ, <laughs> is that a too strange a word mm-hmm. uh, that, that we use in, in that no. <laughs> uh, You know, I don't know. There may be a couple people out there that know what that is. 
<laughs> maybe a couple left. If you were to speak with a person that's having ethical dilemma or they're trying to learn or grow their ethical fortitude and values, what, what things can they do to learn good ethical standing? And when I'm saying good, that's, I know relative is good, but from our perspective, it would be more of a not relative position on ethics. Good, good question there. Um, I, I remember back in law school, um, there was a professor that in a smaller class, it was my first year, and, and just about all the students just really liked him, just very personable, took an interest in our lives. And he wouldn't just talk about whatever the lesson of the day was. He would kind of talk about life as a lawyer, too. And I remember mm -hmm. him saying, you know, in our profession, there's a lot of uh, depression. There's a lot of substance abuse. And he encouraged people to find a way to deal with that and, and, and also to, to have an ethical standard for, for themselves. And, and he said, if, for those that have religion and are active in their religion, that that was, uh, that they typically did far better than those who did not. And, and I think he said, you know, if you don't have one, here's some other sources to look at. And I, I've forgotten those, but. Um, I, I had a faith and, and, uh, and, and that was, that was a comfort to me to, and, and hopefully to others there too, that, so my, my first advice would be to, to ask someone, you know, do you, do you have a, a religious background and a faith and whatever it is, unless it's just some, something really different that, that maybe teaches against, uh, all values of Western civilization, that maybe there are some religions like that out there, but uh, if, if maybe it's so, anything, <laughs> if we it's have anything. a religion of, of political dissidents. That's a religion. I know. There's, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's that. But I, but I think any of the, the, any of the, the major religions, you know, uh, and, and probably some of the minor ones too, that, that just mm -hmm. teach Judeo Christian values, you know, or, or even the, I think if they were to engage in those and adhere to those, that that would be a baseline to start. And then beyond that, I, I would just, I would remind them of a story where I, I, I thought at one point I wanted to do criminal law and that's another story why I didn't go that way. But I worked for um, an attorney general's office uh, where they were all prosecutors. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember one guy said, if, he was working, he had two, two opposing attorneys. There was two criminal defendants and the one attorney he thought nothing of. And the other attorney, he said, if I'm ever charged with a crime, that's the guy I'm going to hire. And, and I thought, wow, that's what a high compliment, right? And yeah, and so that would be the other thing I would tell people is conduct yourself in such a way. If you're in the legal field, that your opponents, whether or not you win or prevail against them, would, would say, you know, that guy beat me in court, but, you know, if I never needed to hire someone, I'd consider hiring him because of how they conduct themselves. So think about, we've probably all heard the story too, but what, what do you want on your tombstone someday, right? Uh, beat, beat everyone that yeah. I was ever in court with or, you know. <laughs> good husband, good father, um, you know, good member of the community. That, that's the kind of stuff that, that I think people at the end of the day will and should value. I've not seen any epitaphs or eulogies or tombstones that said, 
He was a diligent banker. Um, (laughs) What kind of, what type of ethical training do they give attorneys when you're going through the school process? There is required classes on ethics and, and some of it is very practical, you know, just your duties to partners, your duties to your firm, mm-hmm. your duties to your clients, your duties to mm-hmm. the counsel. There's a test. Uh, one of one of the tests that is taken is, is, a, is an ethical test, uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, along with the other. That's good. The <laughs> um, the, the bar exam, there's an ethical component and then, as part of our continuing annual education requirements, a certain amount of the the annual hours has to be um, ethics. I know that's one of the big shortcomings in the field of leadership is there's not much re- emphasis or requirement placed on ethics training as it pertains to leadership decisions. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have this discussion over this topic is to try to pull some ways out to to gain some additional ways that I hate to say learn ethics, but to gain an eth- a more ethical foundation and be able to withstand the things that they're going to run into. Yeah. And, and thank you so far. You gave us some great advice of things that we can do to help develop that ethical foundation in our lives, going to getting religion, going to church, uh, studying scriptures, using role models. That's a great example. What other advice would you have for a new leader that's maybe entering their profession for the first time and they're just trying to get their foot on? If you could go back and give yourself advice as a new attorney, what would it be? If I was to give myself new advice as an attorney, I'd probably give myself different advice than 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 in the field of ethics. So if, if I ah, okay. that advice would would. would I think I've done okay there. I would advise myself in different areas, but I think in answer to to your question, I think it's critical for for new leaders or or new anyone um, to to know how to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. I know that's kind of a catchphrase, and and it's almost like <laughs> that. I think, but but it really is. Um, critical and 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 I think we if we can go back to I want to I'm going to attribute this to Patrick Henry whether it was said by him or not but where where he supposedly said in in legend and lore that uh, um, I disagree with what you have to say but I will defend with my life your right to say it and and that that leads Mm -hmm. to mutual respect right and and we we had um I don't remember his name, but we had a, a person come in and present to the city council uh, as we all sat there on the on the dais of the city council, um, some ethics training one time, and, and he talked about the fact that um, you know if, if we disagreed passionately on issues, we should still be able to keep respect and and, and even friendship, hopefully, uh, despite those differences. Mm-hmm. And that if someone else from the outside attacked the character unjustly of another council member, that the most important person to come to that 
councilman's defense or councilwoman's defense would be their opponent on the issues for that person to come to the defense mm. and say, we've disagreed about every policy under the book, <laughs> but I know that his character or her character is, is a good and solid character. And, and I disagree with your attacks, right? So if, if, if we can be that kind of leader, right? Even, even if someone totally thinks we're going in the wrong direction, they, they can still work with us, they can trust us, and they can have respect for us. Well, you know, watching the local news at night, we might want to send that, that ethics trainer up to D.C. for a little bit and help them out. Him that. <laughs> I, I actually said, can you, can you go there and help them? But everyone just laughs, of course, as we're doing now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because it sounds good on paper, like you said earlier. It sounds good on paper. <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting in his training, what he brought up goes a little bit about what Kyle Fedler mentioned in his book. He talked about distinguishing there, there's a movement nowadays to try to merge the person with the action to make them one and the same. So instead of you did a bad action, they're now a bad person. Yeah. And we, we apply a label of bad person to them. And then that, in effect, destroys their ability and their morale and their drive and desire to actually change those actions for the better. With that, have you noticed or seen any of those examples where that's happened or maybe an example where the action was the exact opposite, where the action was the issue and it was addressed correctly and someone corrected it? The mayor, just prior to this one, he had to... And, and he is not the one that was wrapped up in the fraud allegations, right? That was that was okay. two, two mayors ago. But the one just prior to this one, he had to step down because he had cancer and oh. had become uh, super sick and, and it, it was awful, right? His mm -hmm. health was just awful. And um, I found out that during the, the ice storms of... of uh, last February, uh, where, where power was out so many places in the state, that that mayor with cancer and his wife, they, they had no power at their home. And a member of the city council had reached out to them. And I, I, I know they did not agree on everything. Um, mm -hmm. He had reached out to them and, and brought the mayor and his wife into his home. And, and his home had power. And oh, wow home and and he never he never publicized that he, he didn't uh, uh you know go on facebook or come out i i the mayor mm. later thanked him uh, publicly for doing it and that was that was how we found out about it so um it was you know things like that right where mm. you know, like you said whether he liked everything he did as mayor he separated that from the man. This is a human mm -hmm. being trying to do good and he's in need of help and I'm gonna help him and his wife. That's awesome. That's a, that was a really good example. So thanks for sharing that with us. That, that is a great example of how we, we should act as humans and brothers and sisters in Christ and the planet 
to, to come together in those times of need. And we typically do see that. Uh, used to be a lot more widespread than I remember as a kid. That we'd have political opponents on either side of the aisle arguing and then a disaster would happen and everybody would come together. But I just see that that's getting fewer and fewer and the numbers of those coming together get smaller and smaller each time. It's pretty sad. What would you recommend for us to try to change that on a micro micro scale level, not necessarily world level? But- you know, I, I actually really like the way that you put it of, you know, see, see the person and, and don't see the action that you disagree with. Just try and understand very few people are, <laughs> with some exceptions, of course, very <laughs> few people are truly evil and bad, right? They're, they're, they're out there. Granted, and, and yes. I think there are more people that, if, if you can understand their motivation, right? They're, they're trying mm-hmm. to do something that they think is going to benefit them or the side or the group that they want to help. And they may be going about that in a wrong way, but, but just trying to understand just before you lash out, before you react, try and understand. And, and I think that's a, a key way that, that I think would help a lot. Um, do you have time for one, one more story? Yeah. Yes. We have time all the time in the world. No, I'll, I'll, I won't tell more, but uh, um, one of my favorite stories is uh, a story of Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg. Okay. And this may be a well-known oh, yeah. story. I don't know. My personal views, uh, I, I really liked Justice Scalia, his, mm-hmm. his writings, his opinions, his views. And I found that I disagreed almost always with Justice Ginsburg. And uh, what I found out is they were extremely close friends. And that surprised me. And they would even, their families and them would go on vacation together. During wow, the- I didn't know that. And Justice Scalia, his, when he died, Justice Scalia's son told a story that um, I think for Justice Ginsburg's birthday or something like that, that he he was ordering from his office uh, a big bouquet of flowers for, for Justice Ginsburg. And mm-hmm. his son said, Dad, why are you doing that? He, he <laughs> said, "She's you, you're always so nice to her and she's never voted with you on, on any of the issues where you need a vote mm-hmm. uh, that I can ever recall. And uh, his dad told him, son, there are some things more important than votes. Now, wow. now that's, the, that's the U.S. Supreme Court. Those votes are Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love that. And so I think that we can, we can, you know, look at a human being and say, he's got his reasons and I may disagree completely with it, but I could try and understand why. That's really eye-opening because the stuff us normal people see on the outside is a bunch of political dissent you know there's always the dissenting argument and it's usually quite scathing against the (laughs) against all the other viewpoints and thoughts that they have which would lead and does insinuate that on a personal level they actually view the person as the as all that stuff all rolled into one when in actuality because of their maturity level 
and they're grounding in their own personal ethics, they can separate the two and have that personal relationship that's amazing and can actually be beneficial because as you were saying, there's there are some things that are more important than votes and we can apply that to just about anything. There are some things that are more important than a political ideal sometimes. Sometimes it could be making production meat for this week for our job or getting people to do something. <laughs> There's always something that could be more important than that. And when we put it down on the personal level, that makes one of the biggest differences. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for talking with us today. I've been so richly blessed by our conversation. and I've pulled out a lot of good information to share with our listeners and to put in the final research report. It's been my pleasure, and and uh, it's been great to talk through it with you. Thanks for giving me the chance. You're very welcome. Anytime. Thanks so much for your time, and you have a great day, sir. Thank you. You too, Gary. Appreciate it. In today's discussion, we found several hidden treasures regarding leadership ethics. Chris gave us some great suggestions on developing and maintaining strong core ethics and leadership. He pointed out that faith in God and religion increases our chances of maintaining a healthy working environment and family and strengthens our ethical decision-making capability. Additionally, he recommended that we conduct ourselves in a manner that would make our rivals respect and want to hire us if the need ever arose. We learned that finding and following good ethical role models, setting priorities, sticking with them, and removing ourselves from questionable ethical situations will help us grow solid ethical decision-making capabilities and keep us from being subjected to unnecessary temptation. Lastly, Chris advised us to learn to disagree, but not be disagreeable, to show kindness and respect, and always remember that policy doesn't equal the person. As we set our ethical grounds and remain constant in ethical choices, we can not only avoid bringing trouble to ourselves, our organizations, and our followers, but we can also enlarge our ethical decision-making capability to lift others to greater heights. If you found as many treasures as I did in this excursion with Chris, please consider joining me next time as I continue the hunt for great leadership treasures. <laughs>